people of the world, it's time to quarantine. Welcome to Stuck at Home with Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman. Wait, oh! Hey. Whoa. <laughs> Welcome Whoa. to a new episode. What, what are you doing there? To me? Look at this. This is like Oompa Loompa vision. It's like when that guy got put, like when the girl turned into the blueberry in Willy Wonka right now. I don't know what the hell is going on. That wasn't it looks like, like that. you're trapped. It, it looks like you're trapped in the poltergeist zone. Just step into the light, Curry. Step into oh, the light. Look, I can get myself redder. Everybody who's just listening to this just know my oh. my my video is being really strange, and but I can really purple my face up. Look at that. Look at that. That's not even comfortable. People are like going like, Jason has hypertension. Get him. Yeah, oh. or high blood pressure. Some kind <laughs> of medication needs to be enacted uh, pretty quick if this is even close. To, what are you doing this with? Are you doing this with those like cool LED lights you have? Yeah, I have those cool. I didn't mean honestly. I didn't mean for it to like show up like this. <laughs> but, but where's the where's the good setting where everything looks clear? Um, that's a good question. Um, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna let you uh, riff on that, and we're gonna uh, have to pick this, but not right now. Right now, you're gonna have to look at me in scary purple vision. That's all right. It doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, you know, people mostly are looking at me anyway. That's true. So, That's you know, true. people in the video just to see how much better looking you are. So at at, at the time, it's hard to look at you all the time. You know, because yeah, you're so right. handsome. It's hard. It's really hard to look at me right now. Well, uh, you know, that, you're just red handsome. That's all. I mean, it's like yeah. a, you know, it's an alternate Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Where people are big and red. Yeah. <laughs> right it's like instead of hey, tiny and blue like one of those weird porcelain dolls like like one of metallic without like a metallic painting on it yeah wow yeah you wow. guys are the uh, smurf sworn enemies like I, what i like is that you can move because the light doesn't it. it makes you just look really weird yeah <laughs> right. jason just keeps moving his face around I'm staring at himself he doesn't uh, care that anyone else is even here nope that's, that's, oh wait that, all of a sudden it got perfect all i all i did was tilt the lights literally like uh millimeter up and that's all it took so we're fixed guys and welcome hey, <laughs> we have yeah, the welcome show. to a new episode of stuck at home with me cliff dorfman and jason smith hi everybody welcome yeah. we had a delayed opening but i i liked it it was worth it the visual if you're watching us on youtube the visual is is worth the sign-on and, yeah. and the download. By the way, whoever is listening, and I know there's a lot of you because that's what they keep showing me on pieces of paper, please go review us and, and give five stars and subscribe. And, and we have something launching on YouTube, right? Is that correct, yes. Jason? Yeah, well, we, the show is up Not on YouTube. Launching. Yeah, the show's up on YouTube. We don't talk about the YouTube a lot because our family has a tendency to be on the Facebook. And when I say family, I mean family. I mean yeah. everybody out there that's listening. Yeah, and uh, we're all stuck at home with us. Um, and but we're working on growing that YouTube channel. So if you have the opportunity to go on and sign on, we're doing some we're doing some new things there, and we'll have some other stuff to introduce uh, later. But uh, yeah, we got that that we got that YouTube rolling. Like we're really kind of of the 2008s, 2009s. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're catching up to yeah. yeah, we're catching up to this decade. Yeah. And I've and, been working uh, on my also. Yeah, we're, yeah, we got the Twitch going. I'm going to get a Friendster account and see if we can't get a ball. <laughs> Friendster account. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. am sad to say I remember I was on Friendster. And somewhere I'm sure my profile has been sold and is floating around. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. And I, I'm sure people are still like, Cliff, we're, we've been friends since Friendster. And now I can't get a hold of you anymore. What's going on? I, I think like my buddy Bernard Chang was one of my first friends on, on Friendster. The guy who draws Wonder Woman for DC okay. and Superman. And uh, I don't even know if he was drawing for DC at the time. I think he probably was. This guy's been like talented since he popped out of the womb and then went yeah, to Pratt. Since, since the aughts, at least. Yeah, yeah, since the aughts. Yeah, exactly. You had an exciting day today, though. By the way, and I want to I talk about the new episode of, uh, of Dirty John, but you had an exciting day today. I had an exciting day. So we are looking at a new place to live. We've, uh, we've been in our place for almost seven years, and I think we've talked about it like uh, it's very hot. The air conditioner doesn't really work and nothing, you know, but it's, it's a good it's a good place and we'd still be here. But uh, our landlord is going to rebuild, like, gut it and sell it. He has basically. to. Yeah, he, he has, has to. to. 
we 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 live we move there's a new version of like uh we have the grove and the galleria and the um the americana in uh Pasadena, you know up in glendale They're, they made another one of those close to me and so the 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 the, the property values where i'm living they're going to go way up here real soon right. so it's a so smart one trying to part. meet the demand of it yeah but the the, the it, but it, it priced me right out of the place. Uh, but we would have to move anyway. But I can buy it. So we're looking at new places. But today we found a place. I think we're gonna we're gonna take. We just applied for. Nice place, five minutes it. away from where we are. Uh, good size. Uh, pool is a, ginormous. It's got a ginormous pool for some reason. It's I don't know huge. why. It's huge. What are you gonna do with that that portable pool? I have to talk about that. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> that what I was thinking was, was there got to be a way to take that pool so we can jump from like put that pool on the roof so I can jump from that pool into the other pool, something. I, I don't see what it. the effect of having the pool on the roof would do. I don't, either. I don't know why <laughs> I would do that either. I got to ask Dave. And I feel like it would cave in the roof. Yeah, and I feel like if, you're, if, you're, if your prospective landlord is listening right now, Jason's not going to do that. I'm not really going to do that. We're, we're, By the way, we're, we're, your landlord I, so lucky to get you. Yeah. They have well, no idea. Well, if there is interest in a, in a, um, in a three-foot, 15, you know, 15-foot by, you know, by three-feet deep pool, Cliff Dorfman, I will install it at your house. <laughs> it's very, it's very nice. I have to say, when I saw it in person, I was very, I was very impressed by it. You know, considering it's a blow up. Yeah, from playing to play to pool, and <laughs> considering that if I were twenty years of age, that would be filled with Jello and probably now mud and uh, and uh, and ants. Um, <laughs> it's a great pool. <laughs> terrible. It would just be there's no there's, there's too much responsibility for it though. All right, so we have a great guest today, but we're, he's not coming on yet, so we can we can uh, you know. Yep. commiserate yeah, a little about happened. stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm going to ask you, did you watch the new episode? You know I did. You okay. Know I did. <laughs> and so uh, I, I thought a lot about what you were saying before I get into this one and, you know, asking about I, – and I also asked my wife a couple questions, so I got some answers for you and we can continue on with it. Number one, yeah, okay. the podcasts are very much set up in this way where they kind of explore a piece and then go, go to the next chunk and they do a lot of flashbacks. There's – very, it's very similar to the way Dirty John One was set up, as I understand it, the the podcast. But this is the this is the method to their madness. They go from piece to piece like this. Okay, so, so that so is the structure. So that's what they're really saying. That's why it's based on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say, because we talked about okay. this, like why why are we getting her side and his side? I've decided something, and this is just for me. I'm not going to question that for a little bit because. This is at a, at the end of the day. This is this is a sensationalized piece of true fiction, but it's not true. Everything in this thing has been, you know, the the the, the basic beats. There is a murder. This person did kill it. But everything else in the middle is there's a lot of sensationalism. There's fictionalized accounts and conversations. So I want to hear the story they're telling. If I keep thinking about if he was actually good and not bad, I'm gonna question everything. I don't want to question her anymore. I want to, you know, I I can see especially in this episode. The manipulation that uh, that that Christian Slater's character is putting on her, and I yes. want to believe that that's all real, and that and, well, and, and yeah, for the well, sake I was of agree with you. yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to agree with you. I had the same, a very similar thought in the exact same vein, which was that after this episode, I didn't really care about whether we saw his side anymore. I felt as if there's no way she's making all of this up, whether she's crazy or not. Right. At least sixty percent of this happened, yep. and if sixty percent of it happened, then you know that's a vile way to live. I'm not saying you know you don't kill somebody, you two right. people, you right. have two innocent lives because you don't like the way they treated you, but you right. know ruin their credit. <laughs> you know, like yeah. let's let's do that. Let's yeah. not. But I'm with you. I don't like. I believe at least sixty percent of what she's saying of her version is yeah. truth. Right, and 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 on top of that. Whatever she's saying right now and whatever is being portrayed on screen is a fiction, like a writer writing what their version of this story. So it's not even her telling yes. the story. Right? I can't not believe her because she's not the one telling me the story. She's, a, yeah. she's, a, she's the, the star of a show uh, where somebody else is writing her story for her. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm loving that you asked uh, Steph and got the points on the structure from the original podcast and that they're taking that from there and they're writing this fictionalized version because that now is like okay just take the ride which is great right. which is great this has been a like today what what caught you the most today 
Well, the first thing I wanted to say before I say what caught me is that, I, that's a good question, is that I, I was closing my eyes a bit and listening to the Christian Slater young kid. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think they might have, I mean, unless he's doing a perfect imitation of Christian, I feel like they, he looped the dialogue. He did a great job. He really did. I, did they not loop it? Because that's what it sounded like. It almost does. I, I, I want to believe that that's the voice. I need to, I, I want to find that in. I'm going to do some research and I'm going to find out the answer to that question. Okay, so what grabbed me the most then about this episode? I, well, there are a couple of things, I guess. But the, the, I'll tell you what grabbed me the most. The inside baseball of lawyers talking about divorce. Oh, yeah. That was where I was, too. Like, then when that they're like... dark. When they're like, hide this here, put this here, get this thing here. Start After 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, after 20 years, make sure the Social Security, you have to rename your beneficiary because, uh, you know, uh, there that way, if you don't, then even if you're remarried, everything you have goes to your first wife, but you wouldn't know that. I mean, it's fucking insane. It's insane. There's my first F-bomb. I, did I use it too far? Uh, That's 11 far minutes, far? and I think we're fine. Tw- t- yeah, I, yeah. I think t- YouTube only researches the first four minutes. I'm going to say that right now. Four minutes. Yeah, let's go with that. All right, great. <laughs> so right now, because I've been, you know, I've been, I've been getting better. You have been getting a lot better. I feel, we, I feel okay about it. It's one. Do you remember? You know, not to digress too far, because then we got. No, I want ahead. to introduce our guest, but yeah, uh, oh, good. Uh, but uh, do you remember when Howard? Did you listen to any of the early Howard Stern on Sirius episodes when he first got there? Yes. It was so many f bombs, and it was just like, "Hey, look, I get to say dick, and there could be boobies on the TV or whatever." Right. And then, as they realized, like, it's fun to be able to say it when it's necessary and not be worried about it. We don't have to do a show that's just dick, 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 fuck, fuck. Yeah, fuck, fuck. Oh, right, hey. Simeon. <laughs> now I'm out of them. Yeah. yeah, now I'm out of them. I went well, right I, to the F word. That was my trick. That was my trick. Let me I, say enough You did it. <laughs> I'm out. Now I can't curse again this whole show. So I'm going to have to really keep a tab on it. All right, so do you want to bring on our guest? I'm very I excited would love about to. Me too. Let's... All right, do you want to talk about him or do you want me to? you want to bounce it. back and forth? There's so much stuff. All right, well, okay, so... <laughs> we, we've been having these guests that are just like I swear I use this word more than once, but it's Renaissance when They do they do so much stuff. I, like okay, so our guest today is a music journalist, a writer, a cultural critic. I mean, what what fascinates me? He he serves on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominating committee, right? Mm-hmm. He's taught at Tisch. He is uh, was the host of Fuse's Hip Hop Shop. He's got he's an author. Most importantly, with. Yeah. Three, four books. I mean, he's been he's <laughs> written a about. Of, uh, two, uh, two, he was a co-host See? on The Cycle for MSNBC, contributor to uh, The Dylan Radigan Show. Oh, uh, he's contributor to The New York Times and Playboy and, the, oh, by the way, The New Yorker and Rolling Stone. Daily, and The Daily Beast. and like <laughs> He's so been on much. CNN. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is the ever-versatile Ture. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, how you doing? We thank didn't even say your podcast, which is fantastic. So we'll talk you. about that. Yeah, and it's thank you for being show. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. How how are you? And I ask that in in every way that's relative. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm angry. I feel triggered and very sensitive, and find myself lashing out at people on social in a way that I have not before, and. Um, yeah, it's a difficult, raw period of time. It's not like, yeah, everything's fun. It's like, you know, yeah, let's burn it all down because it's been <laughs> fucked up for a long time. Yes. Well, yes. So let's just say that. And then let's say it's why I have to ask the question and why I mindfully want to ask the question, how are you? In every term, that's relative because it's not like asking like, hey, man, how's your weekend? You have a good time? You go to dinner? Yeah. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, and I feel that in the way you asked it and in the way that everybody is asking each other. I mean, we went from the term, how are you, was already bankrupt the last, like, three months. of mm-hmm. Like, we all knew we were all stressed out about corona. But it was sort of, for most of us, it was like a low level, like, I'm stressed out. Now it's a very high acute level. I'm extremely stressed out. And find myself arguing... Like, get up in the morning and, like, somebody says something racist and I'm arguing with them. And then somebody is saying something that's not racist, but they think that my idea about policing is too 
to the left or too moderate. So now I'm arguing with them and then arguing with somebody to the left of me. And then like, you know, a friend of mine points out like, you know, this white person is something really dumb, you know? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I feel a need to say something. Even like <laughs> Jason Williams yesterday, a great basketball mm -hmm. player, great, you know, broadcaster on, on, on ESPN. Uh, lovely guy, but he went on a rant about how black people should not say the N-word based on what's going on at Clemson. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, dude, like, we don't need you policing us on not to use that word. Beside, I completely disagree with him on that. But, like, that that's not what this moment is about. Like, you telling us to not say that. That is not what this moment is about at all. Um, I have well, found... I have, I have, Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, Because you said something really important that I want to ask you about. Yeah, and yeah. it's the term you just used, what this moment is about. Yeah. And that's what I want to ask you. Because I want to go into some stuff, background and stuff. But I really sure. want to right now ask you what, what this moment is about to you. I think this moment is about racial justice and bringing up some of the, a lot of the demons that we have had and that we have accepted for a long time and slaying them and black and brown people saying you know like, no more are we going to bite our tongue and accept this and like the police are a massive problem in this country let's deal with that like just even today you know mm -hmm. uh, the nascar says no more confederate flags uh, cops this ridiculous cop propaganda show that's been on for 25 years Canceled. off the air you know, yeah. like so many different ways that we have casually uh, disrespected black people um, are being slayed. And uh, it's a really interesting, interesting is the wrong word, but it's a really powerful moment to see like, you know, like the roar that is happening and the response that is happening. And it's still not enough, but things are happening and movement is actually happening, which is, very powerful. Well, that's very interesting. Yesterday, Jason and I were talking about this whole thing that happened with uh, Stasi Schroeder on the uh, uh, mm. rules. Mm. You know, like there's, they finally had a black castmate. She tried to turn this woman in for a crime that she had nothing to do with. I, I don't know. So they all got fired. But Jason and I were talking about the timeline, and it was like 2018. So we said, well, bravo, and all these people. So they waited until now because they had to come forward now, like, oh no, if this comes out now. But from what I'm hearing from you, which is interesting, that might still be a good thing. Even though they waited, better that it happened. Yeah, I mean, justice delayed is justice denied, but still, like, I think there's a heightened sensitivity and a heightened uh, desire to take these things seriously now. I mean, you know, I've had professional moments where people said crazy things to me and I complained mm -hmm. and nothing happened. Um, and, you know, now there's a different posture and a different feeling and like, you know, good. <laughs> Amen. Okay. So let's jump a little because you've made a career, uh, what I've noticed of putting, like inserting yourself into the midst of the argument. I feel like that's what you've done since Emory, right? So okay. you, you're in Emory, you, you drop out of Emory, but you, before you do, you start your own paper. Uh, yeah, I was at... Emory, and uh, there was an, it, this is like 25, over 25 years ago, um, there was a party that the black students had. This is like only college moment that you'd be upset at, right? Like, so, so straight out of like Dear White People or something, um, or different or different world. You're already going to it. I was just about to ask. Please continue. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, I was just, I was a <laughs> sophomore at Emory, and the black students had a party, and the party was supposed to go till say I think it was 11 p.m. Somebody complained, and campus police came by at 10 p.m. and said, "Okay, your party shut down. You have to go home now." And like you know, everybody went home peacefully, but we were very upset that the party had been shut down an hour early, and. Um, you know, we, I think we were very suspicious of the white students of like, had there actually been a complaint or if there was an co actual complaint, like, you know, really? Like, you can't like let us have a <laughs> party till 11 o'clock on a freaking Saturday <laughs> on a college campus? And the, the, the a group of students decided to write a letter to the school paper um, 
saying, you know, like 25 different letters in the school paper saying like this was wrong, thinking that that would then flood the letter section of the school paper and they'd have to print like all our letters or something like that. And what they did is combine all our letters into one letter with 25 signatures and we felt silenced. And so I took it upon myself wow. to start a newspaper while we were there. It was called The Fire This Time. And it was very was, nationalist. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Terry. Was the, was the newspaper that you sent these letters to over, you know, uh, two dozen letters to um, that they truncated into one? Was it a white run paper? Yeah, of course. I don't think there was okay, anybody. Well, I want uh, it to be said. I, I was, of course, sure. But let's yeah, say it because that's it what was, it was. Yeah, it was the okay. central campus newspaper. I believe there was two. And both of them were dominated by white students. Not necessarily that they were excluding black students, but surely there was not. Well, they included your one letter. Well, they yeah, they did. But I mean, in terms of the day-to-day -day working of these papers, there was nobody black working there. I don't think anybody black was interested in working there. Um, and, you know, but perhaps that's part of the culture that they created. Um, and yes. so I took it on myself to create a newspaper. And it was sort of my first media gesture. I'd done some media things in high school, but it was my first media gesture as an adult. And uh, or as a young adult, and uh, we've ran the paper for about two years, it's still um, functioning on the campus. And to talk, this day, yeah, and we talked about you know Amazing. what's going on, and mostly like what's going on in the world. There's a lot of editorials about like what's happening in the world. Well, why I also bring this up and why I bring up Emory as a whole is to kind of move to your book, which you know, has, it's so relevant today as much as it was in, what, 2011 or 12. It's a Who's Afraid of Post-Blackness. And uh -huh, uh -huh. I go to Emory because there was something that happened at a party there also, right, that I think I read about in the New York Times um, review of your book, how you were at a party. Uh, you had kind of made a social choice. You made a shift from you used to hang out with a lot of white friends. You know, like uh -huh. you started mostly spending your social time with all black friends. Uh -huh, and you were uh -huh. at a party. Uh -huh. And someone yelled something at you, and it kind of uh -huh. caused this, you know, thing in your mind where now we got, you know, who's afraid of post-blackness and so on. So I'd like to just ask you a little about that. Uh, sure. I mean, like, yeah, it was a, it was a very typical college sort of trying to figure yourself figure yourself out moment, trying to you know deal with your identity. Um, my because of where I came from, in terms of my high school, most of my so my social life. As a freshman in college, I was very white. Um, in my sophomore year, I made a very, you know, I like sort of like grew up a lot between the end of my freshman year and the beginning of sophomore year and started to uh, make a very conscious decision to just, you know, hang out with the black kids, which, you know, for the most, like 99%, they were like, totally cool, let's go. And like, you know, everybody was loving and accepting. Um, and there were a couple people who were not for whatever reason. And so later in the year, somebody said to me, like, you know, like, you ain't black, which was very hurtful and caused me to sort of come into myself to sort of think about, you know, like, who am I and what does that mean? And what does it mean to embody or perform or practice blackness um, a little bit differently than other people, which is something that. I think at that time, we're talking about like the early, early 90s, um, there was much, there was a greater sense of monolithicity in society of like, this is the way you are a man. This is the way you are a black person. And I think nowadays there's a much greater acceptance of a broader array of ways to be a man or a woman or a black person or whatever. So you know, even just for the lens of going back 30 years, it may not be like, wait, what happened? Why would that? But like, you know, the people were like, you know, you are not being black in the way that I want you to be black. And so I had to do some sort of soul searching on like, what does that mean? And, um, and it's then sort of getting you nominated for an NAACP image award. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that I mean, was like, some good soul searching. Yeah. Years and years <laughs> later, I was able to write this book about that and just sort of the nature of being black. And like, um, yeah, a lot of people like the book. Well, it's sold out on Amazon right now. You can't you can't even get it. 
Just, well, yeah, that might be because it's so old, but thank you. <laughs> now, you know what? Why not just accept that it's sold out and now they're going to do a reprinting? This is what I'm saying, okay? That's it because it's a great piece. But what you also get to do, and I wonder how much it, it you know, inspired everything you're doing now and with your, your podcast as well. You know, the, the 105, uh, you know, prominent, black people that you got to interview. Yes. You know, Elizabeth Alexander, the poet, the Yale professor who I love, is just, you have to yes. talk to these people about, yeah. But I mean, this holds, what do you take from it today as you move forward? Because I want to talk about your podcast as well. Sure. And I have some. What do I take from it? I mean, you know, I wrote that yeah. book during uh, President Obama's first term. And, you know, we had, um, you know, it, it was a lot about identity and trying to figure out who you are as a black person. And I think in the years since I wrote it, like the immediate few years since I wrote it, um, Black Lives Matter uh, blew up in response to Trayvon, Eric Garner, um, and other incidents, Michael Brown, other incidents. Um, you know, the, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, sort of exploded yes. into people's consciousnesses. Um, and there was a greater understand and not that i felt like you know obama was like you know the end of racism or even a victory against racism but that moment it was like okay here's a mood to consider identity and in the years since things have been so much more violent and difficult and and complicated that i if i was to write that now i'd write a very different book that would address you know the violence the trauma um, the difficulty of being black, um, just just even seeing a George Floyd video is traumatizing. You know, just even seeing you know the Flando Castile video, et cetera, and hearing the story of Breonna Taylor, it's very traumatizing. Um, you know, people, it's out there. You're right. Yeah, hearing. and people, yes, just hearing, let alone seeing. Yeah, and some people are like, you know, oh, you know, you have a nice life or whatever, and like. Sure, you know, I'm 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 doing okay, but like I'm not in any way shielded from these things happening. The trauma still comes onto you and hurts you and um it just becomes a lot to carry with you uh day after day. Well, yeah, you said something also. We're 2020, right? And yeah. you're not shielded just because you have a nice life. You walk down the street and you can have a problem. I, I am afraid car, you can have a problem. I am afraid of the cops killing me every single day. I think about that every day. It's, I think about it. It's not even like a loud thought. It is a conscious, like, like a sort of before. almost background, like you know, like this could happen every single day. Which I've long been like, this is insane that I am afraid that the cop that we're all afraid that the cops could kill us every single day this is insane but like nobody would even hear of any sort of well what do you want to do like the you know well like let's have a radical reshaping of the police like what what are you talking about this is insane maybe we should have a world with no police and an entirely different approach to public safety that's insane like is it though is it i mean i think about the police when you say we need the police. And even you, you may say like, well, we need the police. The mm -hmm. word police is kind of vague. If you were instead to say a group of people with guns, no total authority, no responsibility, no transparency, who lie all the time, you need that? What, I mean, yeah, if you want to run a make, criminal organization, that's right, exactly what who, I need. That's exactly the, the perfect syndicate. Who, who kill all the time, who make mistakes all the time, we need that in society. I mean, for the overwhelming number of uh, the overwhelming number of jobs that the cops show up to take care of, mm -hmm. they are not necessary. They don't. We don't need people with guns to show up after uh, you know after a couple has had a fight and they're in the middle of a domestic violence moment. We don't need people with guns to show up after somebody has been traumatized by some violent. Incident. The police are very, very bad at stopping something before it happens or while it's happening. That is an extraordinarily small part of what they do. People are like, what would you do in an active shooter situation? Uh, that's extremely rare, and the police are really bad at dealing with that already. Um, 
you know, they are much better at showing up after somebody's been killed, after somebody has, you know, horrifically been raped after a domestic violence incident, and talking about what happened. Mm -hmm. And the clearance rate on rape and murder is extraordinarily low, right? So it's not like they're out here, like, crushing it in terms of, like, bringing everybody home to justice. Um, They spend a lot of time stalking us when we are driving around and pulling us over for tiny infractions. You went a little over the speed limit. This is a real thing. You went through a a stop sign. You went through the, you know, and and a police officer told me today, I didn't realize this. If they give you a ticket, a citation, or, or make an arrest, that means they go to court with you. And when they are in court, they're getting overtime. And the first three hours of overtime is guaranteed. So if he sets foot in a courtroom and the judge immediately dismisses him after five minutes, he gets three hours of overtime. So he is incentivized or she is incentivized to make uh, arrests and citations just because it brings them more money because they have to go to court to bolster that. That's an insane system. Well, you know what? That's very interesting. Let's talk about, because this relates directly to your podcast, right? So, Teray's show podcast. And in, I think it was an episode, what was it, 2018? And I love your show. So, you're talking to a couple of cops uh, about Comstat. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're talking to a couple of cops and about the, there's this huge heroin problem in Staten Island and they find this book bag full of heroin. But because it wasn't caught in a geographic zone where they can taper the numbers, it was like thrown away. But yet they bust a, a man of color. I'm sorry, we don't say that anymore. Right. Black man. Yeah. I mean, I, I no, but I, I want to be sure because I no, don't know. I mean, I per, I mean, not necessarily everybody agrees with me, but I mm-hmm. feel like person of color sort of truncates black, brown, Asian all into one, which ultimately means non-white rather than saying black or brown, which is like, that's who I am. I'm not non-white, I am black. So, you know, talk about that. I love that. Okay, great. So they find a black man in the right geographic zone where they can nail it to Comstat. I mean, and this is the kind of stuff you're talking about all the time on your podcast, but... Tell us a little about that. You know, this idea of how they're zapping these numbers so we're never really getting a clear view. Well, I mean, you know, one thing that the the cops that we talked about, um, one of them was named Lieutenant Edwin, Edwin Raymond, who is sort of a modern Serpico who has done, has fought inside the department to um, reform the department and the NYPD. And he lives looking over his shoulder because he knows eventually somebody's going to try to hurt him or kill him for what he's trying to do. I couldn't believe the stuff he was talking about on your show. I have to tell you, it was very, it was cringy a little. Like, just no, saying this out loud? No, it's crazy. I mean, like, one yeah. of the things he talks about is that there remains a system of quotas. This does not mean the supervising officer tells you you have to make 20 arrests a month. However, mm-hmm. there is a, there is a sort of favored nations sort of thing, I guess you could say, whereby... If you're making 20 arrests and 30 citations a month, the next person is expected to do numbers that are similar, right, in the ballpark. If you were to say, hey, I stood out in the corner and I didn't see any arrestable offenses, um, that means you're not doing your job. So the cops are not only incentivized, but they are forced to be making constant arrests and citations because otherwise to be clear wait i want to be clear so in other words it's not acceptable that no one's doing anything bad or wrong you can't say that you can't say that you cannot you can't go back to the station house and tell your commanding officer nobody did anything wrong we stood out in the block yeah we're doing our job apparently yeah (laughs) because no no one's doing anything wrong you can't say that no you cannot say that that would mean you're not doing your job and when it comes time for uh you i mean you would be probably demoted and or humiliated for mm-hmm. for that being your position. But also when it comes time to get promoted, um, they're like, well, what have you accomplished? And like, how many arrests have you made? You know, basically how, you know, how tough have you been? And if your answer is like, well, I made a couple of arrests, like that's not, that's not acceptable. Right. So this is, all right, and, and what I also notice about your show, and, and here's the, the bigger question, because we talk about what's happening in art as opposed to, wait, wait, I'm really going to ask, is that a flute, or is that a, is that no, a chair? No, it's my, no, it's my door, it's my door. It's a, it's it's a, a door. Bit. 
Yeah, I used to get a little oil. My kids, my wife are going out, but I used to get a little oil in there. My kid's door does the <laughs> same exact thing. <laughs> I ordered WD-40 off of Amazon, yeah. and I'm waiting. I, I, I'm counting the days until this thing comes. Yeah. And I, but now part of me is like, wait, but now I know when he's coming. <laughs> like when I hear his door, it's like I know they're coming. All right, so I wanted to ask this because what I was saying is that I love talking about on the on Stuck at Home about how art is, you know kind of trickling into society, vice versa, how it's affecting us and how it can help in all this. One of the things I've always noticed is the, you know, segregation between black Hollywood and Hollywood, right? And what's amazing about your podcast and the people you've spoken to, I mean, from what what is it? Kendall Lamar and Kendrick Kendrick Lamar. Sorry, I'm not good with music. I really, my kid laughs at me all the time. Uh, It's just like you have Spike Lee, yeah. I mean, like, you have spoken to anyone who is black that you can speak to. But sure. as far as white guys, I'm not seeing it. And I see yeah. this separation. You know, you don't have the huge white dude on there. And I, I see this separation a lot. I mean, now, how do you feel about well, this? And do you, you know, notice it? Yeah. You can't I mean, be bigger than you in what you're doing. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, the mission for my show is to give uh, successful black people a home to be able to talk about their careers and how they've become successful. And I don't see similar platforms that are really highlighting black people in a wide array of areas. You know, my show might be a writer, might be a politician, filmmaker, musician, any number of people, visual artist, you know, any number of people. Um, I don't discriminate like we've had oh, not that Donald. you do no i know but we I had was Lawrence saying that it's separated. The we've had mm-hmm. mark bronson on the show we had uh sandra bernhard so you know we've had some great white people who for whatever reason have something to say or have some relationship to the culture i mean like i as a media person in terms of creating gotcha. media products i do see a value in nichification in I'm speaking to a black audience. Um, you know, I think your audience is broad enough and intelligent enough to understand there's a difference between me setting out to say, I want to give a platform to uh, black performers or black successful yes. people versus yes. you saying like, well, I want to do that for white people. Like, well, white people have tons of platforms. <laughs> no, no, no. That's every show to, ever. Yeah. I'm trying to do something different. <laughs> Right. Okay. So that's where it comes from. This is very nice and inspiring. I love this. So you're giving this platform for all these people. And now I want a whole new audience to come kind of listen to your show too. And I'd like it to be much more white because these are the things that we don't understand. And how, if a white guy is coming to approach the show, and I'm really asking you this out of just, I feel like responsibility. Yeah. of naivete, right? But white yeah. guys coming down and say, I want to listen to your show and I want to hear what all these great people and what you guys are talking about and what it is from the black point of view. Yeah. What are the things that they're looking at when they're walking into your show now? Like, what are they getting from it? Well, we're going to talk to, I mean, like, for one thing, I don't think we are talking to people in any way that is necessarily exclusive of white people, right? It's not like they would be like, right. I'm lost in this conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't understand what they're talking about. And you know, I certainly don't, I don't think I usually talk to people specifically about I'm really confused. What are you guys talking about? And no, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. I was having the same issue, Jason. So thanks for doing I don't, that. I don't, think, <laughs> huh? I don't think we're normally saying like, let's talk about what blackness means to you to where you'd be like, okay, this doesn't mean anything to me. But like, you know, uh, one well, that's kind of my point is that it's yeah. a very uni- there's a universality to to your show that that does not have a color barrier at all. I feel like it doesn't matter that you're talking to mostly black people. It's a deal that I can learn something about the journey on this sure. from any point, whether it's politicians or writers. So yes. that's kind of more what my my whole thing is. And lately, I've noticed you've gotten a little more. You know, you're talking a little more about current events every day. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, the moment is so fraught, you know, and so now, right, it would not feel right to, I mean, like, you know, everybody, every company, everybody is saying, like, let's address this moment, right? So, I mean, you know, it would not feel right to have this platform and not say, hey, here's another interview with a great singer, which is 
nothing to go with nothing to do with what's going on. And you know, quite often I'm digging into my Rolodex to see like who can I talk to that that helps in whatever the moment is, be it now or six months ago or whatever, coronavirus, whatever. And you know, when I called Ray McKesson, uh, who was two weeks ago, when I call uh, mm-hmm. Philip Goff, you know, who are friends of mine, he's a policing expert. It was like this is the person we most need to hear from. There were other people who were on the slate for the last two weeks who were awesome, mm-hmm. who you will hear from mm-hmm. in the future. Um, but it was like, that is not what we need right now. We need the, I mean, like Philip Goff talking about, you know, the nature of policing. And I, I didn't realize, you know, a few uh, recently in the last few years, the FBI said that there is um, an, uh, an infiltration, a widespread infiltration of police departments by white supremacists. They don't know how many. We don't, you know, you can't, nobody signs up for the police force and says, you know, like, you know, what are your hobbies? Like, well, you know, I'm in the Klan on the weekend. You know, nobody's necessarily telling you. You can't necessarily fire somebody because they said um, certain, like certain things are beyond the pale, but certain things you can get a you know, you can get away with saying on Facebook and keep your job. And beside the fact that American policing in general, they feel like they have too few officers for the job that they need to do. So they are not looking to get rid of people who want to be down. They are trying to figure out how can we recruit more people? Um, So when white supremacists show up, they're not like, no, not you. So we have, you know, which I had no idea. I'd never heard this before. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah. I I, I cannot believe this. This is your guest. Say his name again, please. Uh, Dr. Philip Atiba Goff. This is our our, our guest this week. I mean, like, he's a policing expert that has studied this backwards and forwards. And, you know, he, you know, I mean, most police. Nationwide, right? Yeah. Yeah. He studies it nationwide. Yeah. Most police departments have 12 officers or less. There's 18,000 police departments, a lot of, about 700,000 police in America. A lot of police departments have one officer, but the small size of the departments is a big reason why people can go from one department, screw up, and go to another department, right? If there's 12 people, Mm. there are 11 people back at the other station house who knew you, pretty easy to manipulate like you know well how did he do like bill was great you know <laughs> sure. there was a misunderstanding like you know when he shot this kid but like you know any of us could have done that like we all thought know, it was a good shoot we thought it was a good shoot yeah. i mean the, shoot. i mean my god the police are certainly not throwing each other under the bus what we've seen in in philadelphia uh with joe bologna and 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 in, and in buffalo police standing up and, and in New York, Pat Lynch, standing up and defending officers who are clearly on video treating citizens horribly. I mean, like, the police are certainly not at all interested in or believing in the need for reform. They are totally standing in the way of reform and cheering on officers who are uh, in the midst of horrendous behavior. Well, this sounds like the precipice of change. Because this is the kind of behavior that it has to get to, I guess, in order for everyone to go, oh, this is not okay. We'll get there. We're getting there. I mean, we're getting there. We, you know, we'll see it's a shame how it had much to get here. We'll, we'll see how much it is a shame, but we'll see yeah. how much change comes out of it. You know, I was surprised the second night in Minneapolis. I, you know, the first night when there was, you know, very intense protesting, um, I, I was not surprised. The second night, I was like, oh, wow, like they continue to have that kind of energy for a second night and that kind of anger, like that's a little different. And the third night I went to join something in uh, in, in Brooklyn, was part mm-hmm. of stuff Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, really powerful, thought Monday the energy would start to wane. It did not. It continued waning, and it continued going on. And I've been part of something, some march every day um, for well over a week, and it's been really powerful and empowering. Um, but it's amazing that the 
the number of marches, the intensity of marches, the number of people who are showing up is not calming down. Right, right, which is the normal news cycle. And, and yeah. that's very, very hopeful. And, and that leads me to the next. I just want to ask you a couple of things before you go. The first one I want to ask you more, more relevantly, have you heard about this? What is it, uh, Share the Mic that they're doing today? Uh, Hashtag no, okay. share the mic. It's okay. where um, uh, white women of celebrity uh, or power are giving their social media accounts to black women for the oh, day. Like wow. Julia Roberts gave it to, I think, the editor of Teen Vogue. Or, you know, oh, I, wow. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. Right. And right. Um, But now I was wondering, so, so you haven't heard about it, but I was thinking to myself, like, shouldn't there be a guy version of this? No, absolutely, there should be a should guy version. Should we start this then? So should yes, we start absolutely. a guy version? So yes, let's do that. absolutely, absolutely. All right, I'll give my I'll give my social media to anyone you say. So let's start one. How many let's do you start. have? How many people do you have? I don't have I don't have enough, but I'll just give it to I have you know I have like five thousand, a <laughs> couple of thousand, but but everyone's real. They all interact and listen. Good, but good, I'm just saying good. my point is I'll give it to anyone you say. I don't care, and I'll get a bunch of people to do it too. No, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, you know, there. Uh, I mean, I have somebody off the top of my head who I would think of, um, somebody I've recently met on uh, social media who I find incredibly inspiring. Uh, their name is You're Doing Great. You are doing great. Um, mm -hmm. Very serious. Uh, the person's name is Jem, a very serious, committed abolitionist calls themselves an anarchist, black, queer, um, really, I mean, like just, you know, makes these sort of political TikToks and mm -hmm. argues and fights about abolition. And, um, you know, I mean, just that, uh, that person would be really powerful um, just to give I mean. a further voice to, because I see, you know, people talking about uh, abolition and they're like, they don't really mean get rid of the cops. This person's like, no, no, no. I really mean get rid of the cops. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's really powerful. It's really powerful. Well, I'm in. I'm verified. You know, I got that little little silly nice. blue check uh, across nice. the board. So nice. anyone, I'm in. So let's find other people. Okay. You just tell me and I'll, I'll do it. So this is my okay. last question for you. And really, I mean that. Let's talk off the air. I, I okay. think what, we should do this, right? I okay. mean, it'd be silly not to. I like it. It's a good idea. Okay, cool. So last thing I'm going to ask you, and this is what I'm always concerned about, in your opinion, how do we do something with our art to change what's going on? How do we do something with our yeah. art? I mean, you know, the, I would take a step back further from the output and think about the input. And, you know, one of the great moments or most important moments in my life is understanding where and how I am shaped by the white gaze. And this is part of a, an awakening that happened for me from like senior year in high school through like sophomore year in college, which we touched on earlier, right? Sort of this couple, like year and a half, sort of like reading, listening, looking, figuring out like, like my mind is fixated on the white gaze, G-A-Z-E, like, what are white people going to say and do if I say and do this or that? And cutting that out of my own perspective and gaining a perspective that is Black-centric, that is focused on me, um, was very empowering to me. Um, and I continue to not want to speak for all white people to black to uh, for all black people to white people or to or even to be speaking to white people. Uh, but like speaking in a way, you know, like sometimes people say things like people think X. When you say that, do you mean white people? I mean, if you mean that, that's fine. And you can say that, but don't say people to mean white people, right? Because you're being white centric. So if you and oh, folks out white there, centric. yeah, if if could think. No, 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 that's an important term. Yeah. White centric. Think, okay. could try to think beyond white centrism, just to be fully aware of other people's perspectives, and that other people are not having the same life experiences that you are. This woman, this dumb conservative woman yesterday tweeted, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, cops are not going to bother you, right? You know, which people were like, well, Breonna Taylor okay. was sleeping, Tamir Rice was playing, John Crawford was shopping, 
you know, on, you know, on, on, you know who could say that, Teray? I, I could say that. What do I you could mean? say that. Oh, you know, if I'm not doing anything wrong, the cops won't bother me. Right. I, I can say that. Right. About like, like, you and your They won't life. bother right. me. Right. right. Exactly. But for the most no. part. For the most yeah, but part. No. Yeah, yeah, but no. But, but if no. You, but if you, and she says that because her worldview is so small that she thinks right. the worldview and the experiences of a white woman are everybody's experiences. And if you can step outside yes. of yourself enough to see other people have different experiences um, and a different way of looking at the world um, and respect that as just as important as your view that you have gotten from your lived experience, that will be an interesting start and you will perhaps produce different art that is aware of different okay. audiences are having different experiences. Well, before I forget this, I really want to chime in on what you're saying. Okay, so as a writer, as a white man, Okay. I cannot write about the black experience. Right? right. But if I want to write movies about the black experience or elevate that knowledge or that content, what's the best way for me to go about doing that? In other words, how do I implement it? Because I'm not going to write. Okay, for example, I was telling someone else, I think it was uh, uh, Open Mic, about, uh, about this Gordon Parks movie. That's a great movie about his yeah. relationship with this kid in the Flavios um, and how you can parallel black exploitation movies at the same time that he's you know, doing all this charitable work with Life Magazine, etc. Sure. I can't, I, I could go write that movie, but sure. I can't give you a unique perspective on that movie. Can you, in your movies, in your writing, Mm -hmm. include black characters who are complete and full people who perhaps interact as full and complex people um, like some of the black people you have known in your life in whatever I, walk of life. I do constantly, yeah. all the time. I, I mean, can they not be, you know, the problem or the magic Negro who's saving the day? You know, <laughs> can they not That's be, a good point. you know, the, the villain character? Even like a movie like Green Book, which mm -hmm. I hated, tried. Oh, okay. I hated it too. Yeah, I mean, only, sure. like, people like got mad at me. They tried to not do it in terms of like we're having a black and a white person come together. But just one aspect of that movie, because I choose not to think about the movie. But like the white character <laughs> had a full family that he's interacting with, right? Kids, wife, extended family, friends. The black character did not have anybody else in his life. He's a solitary character who goes home alone, so there's no family, there's no other people in his life. So he lives this solitary life, perhaps because the writers could not imagine the other people who were around him in his life. That real-life character was not a solitary person. He had a family, he had other people in his life. Uh, you know, his yes. family was like, what the hell? Where? Why were we erased from this? So, you know, you see, like, one person gets to be a full, complicated person who lives in the world, and the other one, even though he's not a criminal, even right. though he's not a magic Negro, uh, but still, he is this sort of one-dimensional figure who, uh, you know, who, who doesn't have anybody else in his world, like, to a stark and weird extent. And, you know, can you create you know, a, a, a black love interest, male or female, who it's not, a, you know, the relationship is not about black and white getting together, but just she's a beautiful girl, he's a cool guy, he picks her up, like, you know, they figure it out together, just as like, you know, two, uh, you know, we so often see two white people figuring it out together. When white people go to the movies, yes, they generally are able to see their experience replicated and affirmed right yes. and we like that too well we've talked about this a lot here uh, about the idea that we as a, a white uh, generation culture society have yeah. every in, in movies in cinema whether it's tv uh, music we have every type of hero we have every type of role model and every like, oh, you want an actor to play this? There's a white guy who played it. You have a role model for it. Right. And we don't even think about the fact that that doesn't happen in almost any other race. It's, there's, there's very few that are, you know, being touted up. So this is a really great place to start in finding these, these just full characters. That, and I think it goes to your book a little bit in what you're saying in post-blackness. You know, yeah. it's this idea of just people. 
I mean, you know, the, the yeah, the thing with post-blackness that some people misunderstood was I was not making, not talking about post-racial and some vision of a world where we're beyond racism or beyond race. I was talking about in post-blackness, the idea of that you can perform or embody blackness in any way you want. And there's not a monolithic vision uh, of blackness, but like all ways of being black are acceptable. I think that's a great place to, to leave off. And listen, where can we find you on social media? Uh, on Instagram at Torre Show, T-O-U-R-E-S-H-O-W. And on Twitter at Torre, T-O-U-R-E. And Torre Show on podcasts everywhere. Jason Smith. Hey, I have one question for you. Yeah, but this is not a this is not a serious question at all. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move Cliff just for a second because we can't see it. Do you know that the the book that you have behind you, the Becoming Richard Pryor, his eyes have been following me the whole time, no matter where. <laughs> I'm... He does that. He does that. <laughs> I didn't even notice the book. Now, oh my god, that's hysterical. Right. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank yeah, you. So much. Thank you so much for everything. All right. I'll talk to you. Let's yeah. talk about that thing too off the air. Thank okay, you again. Great. Okay, okay, great. great. Okay, Bye, Bye. What's up, buddy? Again, what time? What, what do we got? Uh, oh, we got about five minutes left. Four minutes uh, left. That was awesome. I mean, you know, I just think again. It's not like every show has to be that way, but I think when you have a guest, especially like Teray, you have to talk about. You know, it's like he said, you can't just talk about like, oh, what's this new podcast you got, or what's this new episodes going on, or you know, there has no. to be a deeper. There has to be. And I think especially right now, you know, it's it's fun to talk about things. It's fun to talk yeah. about uh, Betty Broderick and her crazy whatever, Love whatever it. happened there, right? <laughs> it's fun to talk about fun, random stuff, but like sure. it's an important time. If we're not talking about this, we're not growing. And and, and, and like Teray was talking about that I that caught this, that really, I also really recognize this. Every day, the, the protests have gotten bigger and more, and it's not like this is just leaving. A lot of times, you know, with the Me Too stuff and with a couple of the other protests that have happened, once it gets that peak, you get that peak one day where everybody's there. The Donald Trump, you know, you know, I'm not yes. political, but when they were doing all the protests, Donald Trump, when he was first elected, right. after about a week, people kind of just let it go. This well, is not something. Being, yeah, this is not something people are letting go, and this is not something that can be let go of. And I think it's important. We we don't have you know it's good to talk about. And, and the information at the end is actually really revealing to me too. It's like, just make full characters. They don't have to be the hero or the villain. They just exactly. also don't need to be the comic relief or the magic, you know, MacGuffin that, that solves the problem. <laughs> really. And I'm so glad I, I asked him that. And that's not me patting myself on the back for a good question. It's me learning some stuff. And if I'm learning stuff, then anyone who's with us is learning stuff. And therefore, you know, it matters. And, and, and I, I think it is encouraging but I also think, I have to say, which is great, thank God I'm surprised that it hasn't, you know, that it's only gaining and yeah, the no, momentum. That's it, very it's like, positive. It, you know, yeah. it's super positive thing. I, I mean, that was my biggest fear, like going in through the next week and seeing things kind of swell and keep swelling. It's like, okay, well, this has got to be the peak of it. You know, the news has given up on it, right? The new, It's not on the news oh, anymore. It used to be every day. It's still on like the weekday news, but it used to be all day, like, for the what, last Black week, Lives Matter not on the news now? It is there on, you know, in the news shows, but it was like the whole day was dedicated to the protest. People are following, you know. Right. You know, well, if you were more violent, so, oh, there's nothing uh, scintillating. There's nothing, they're not reporting it as much. They're doing right. they're doing pieces on it at 630 and at 11, you know, like normal. But it's not, it's like they've the news cycle's kind of moving on, right? Because they're opening, mm -hmm. you know, they're opening up everything. But there, that doesn't mean people have stopped. And that's perfect because people need to just keep going it doesn't matter what the media is doing just keep going keep well, right. you're absolutely right i mean it would be much easier by the way uh, you know on every level to have a conversation with Teray about his podcast and talking to kendrick lamar and uh, i got his name right this time see i can't remember names of fucking musicians man like prince i remember which we did by the way we didn't even get to talk about his book that he wrote uh what is it to die uh, i would die for you the Prince yep. uh, biography where I mean, have you, this book is incredible. And he, he like, he makes it, he parallels it with religion. It's, it, it, it's an excellent, excellent I would book. Die, which, I'll put the, I'll put this on the thing. It's I would die for you. Yeah. Uh, why would, why Prince became an icon um, from 2013. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, I'd love to talk about Prince, you know, I mean, like really, and being from Minneapolis and so on and so forth. But, you know, it, is it harder to have the conversation I had with him? Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, that's not a pat me on the back. It's like, that's what we all have to be doing. I think that's why this won't just be a news cycle thing and it'll be something that can enact actual change. Yeah. Yep. I'm ho- here's to here's to yeah. really believing and truly being optimistic that this is yeah. uh, a touch point that we can look to 2020 as a positive like this right. change can, you know, then all of a sudden 2020 becomes less about the worst year and more about a year of real radical change. I like the sound of that. Oh, and by the way, I saw that banner that went out from Greg Wadley uh, saying that I was intelligent. So, I mean, that's always, yes. Uh, it was a smart fellow, my friend Cliffy. I can see the intelligence in my eyes. Oh, thank you very much, Greg. <laughs> well, well Cliff Dorfman. <laughs> yes. It's that time of the day again where I have what, to we're say done? Oh, Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. Tomorrow. Oh, sorry, Scott Porch. We will have another great episode coming at you soon on the next one hey we're gonna have a great episode guys thank you so much for listening yes um please rate and review us please subscribe to our youtube page our facebook page i'm gonna have a story about facebook tomorrow um and maybe we're talking about how we adjust how we work with facebook i'm not real happy with them right now but i'll save that for tomorrow uh okay good okay but uh thank you all yes thank you stay safe you Please, review. Five stars, why not? What do you have to do? If you got two seconds, you can go do it. Stay safe, stay sane, stay strong, everyone. Jason Smith. Take care of each other. I love you all. And look, I went back to red. Yes, there you are. (laughs) Just the last view. Everybody can see he's back to Oompa Loompa, red, static, poltergeist. Beautiful. All right, I love you all. Jason, we'll see you tomorrow. The next time. Love you all. Bye, everyone. It's time to quarantine.